This is the Spirit Truth Podcast, conversations to equip worship teams and songwriters. Hi, everyone. We're here to speak today about the power of corporate worship, the power of worshiping together. What happens when we come together? What happens when we gather with the goal and with the desire to, to worship God, not just on our own, but as His body and, and as His bride? And I'm fully aware of the irony of recording this video at the end of 2020, a year where for so long and for so many of us, we actually haven't been able to gather. Uh, it, for, it was many months, you know, where we couldn't do church the way we, we normally did it. And I think all of us, experienced the, the intense desire uh, just to, to come together. We realized the power of what happens when we get together with other believers. We realized that, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing having time on our own with God in our home, but we desire to take that uh, experience and to, to join together with others uh, in, in corporate worship. You know, if you have been part of a, a church family uh, or if you've gone to like a, a, a church retreat or a, a camp maybe you went to a youth camp when you were younger or something like that and at some point somebody would have said something along the lines of uh, you know we're going to worship now I just want you to forget about the person next to you okay you know it's just just focus on Jesus just worship Jesus just forget about the person next to you and of course I know what we're saying when we're saying that we're saying you know, don't be self-conscious. Uh, don't think so much about what others are, are thinking about the way that you express your worship that you kind of just stand there. And, and that's a good thing to encourage us to do is not to be self-conscious in our worship. But with this session, as we're speaking about worshiping together, I want to come from another angle and say, please don't forget about the person next to you. Because, you know, when we come together to worship, we're not just... A bunch of individuals coming together. We're not a, a collective of individuals, but we're part of something bigger. We're part of something larger. We realize that it's not just about me and Jesus, but it's about us and Jesus. And so what I'm really hoping to establish with this session is the power of what happens when we don't forget about the person next to us, but we together come to worship God. I've mentioned the word worship a few times now, and I it's such a huge topic, such a huge subject. You can define it in so many different ways. But I think if I had to sum up worship in, in one sentence, it would be something along the lines of worship is the natural response of every living thing to a revelation of God. So basically, if you, if, if, if you or if any living creature has a, has a revelation of this is who God is, this is His character, uh, or this is what He has done, these are His deeds, this, these are His works, the natural response, the appropriate response is worship. Whatever comes out as we respond to our Creator, that, that is worship. And um, we express it in so many different ways. You know, we express it with singing, we express it with dancing, with clapping, with raising hands. But of course, far beyond those kind of physical expressions, we express worship with the way that we live our lives, uh, with the way that you approach your work, it's worship, with the way that you love your family, it's worship, with the way that you love your enemies, it's worship. You know, 
how we live our lives. And, and many of you would have heard the phrase that, that worship is a lifestyle. Kind of a, a summary of, of that scripture that says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, just do it to the glory of God. Worship is all-encompassing. Um, but while that is true and that is, that is something that we hear a lot, I think sometimes we, we, f- we think because worship is all-encompassing, we, we tend to focus on, on that large-scale worship. And we, we sometimes actually don't speak about what happens in the singing and in the corporate gathering. And when we, we kind of come together for this time of worship, we, we know that worship is so much bigger than that time, but worship is also, there's something significant that happens in that time of singing together and of worshiping together. And that's really what I want to kind of cover in this session. Because it's really important for us to understand why we do what we do in corporate worship. And the, the first thing I, I would want to say is that I think you'll know that there's a difference between what happens in personal devotional worship, you know, maybe when you're on, a, on your own at home, and what happens when we come together to worship. There's, both are, are hugely important. You know, we need that time when it's just you and God, and you can just kind of pour out your heart to Him. But we also need that time when we together pour out our hearts together in worship. And I think that a huge challenge for us in our kind of modern Western society is of course, we live in a hugely, massively individualistic culture where the individual is, the, everything revolves in a sense around the individual. Everything is about the individual. And we, that's the culture we find ourselves in. And, and that's in a sense, many times it, it, it kind of gets drawn into church as well. Even in our worship, we're many times just a bunch of individuals worshiping. But if you look at scripture, the entire scripture, well, let me say most of scripture is written to a people or it's written to a community or it's written to a church. You know, it's, it's written to a group. It's not necessarily written to an individual. If you think of something as simple as the way that Jesus taught us how to pray, what did he say? He said that when you pray, go into your room, close the door. So if you're kind of following this imagery in your mind, okay, I'm going into my room, I'm closing the door, I'm on my own now in, in this room. And now the, the powerful thing, he says, don't pray my father, pray our father who art in heaven. That is powerful. That changes our perspective on everything where, it, of course, God is my father. Personally, he, I know him as my father, but in the way that I relate to him, it's not only as my father, but even when I'm on my own in my room, I understand I'm part of a greater collective. I'm part of a greater body and I can pray even when I'm on my own, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And the, the, the powerful thing about this is that it changes our understanding of, of worship where we understand that worship is not only declaring who God is to, to me, but who God is to us. Because with worship, with corporate worship, when we gather together, we get to step into something that we can't do on our own. And that is agreement. That is unity. Where we understand that, again, this is not only who God is to me, but this is who God is to us. I don't know if you've ever been encouraged in worship just by watching the way that other people worship. You know, if you see somebody who you know, 
maybe their personal circumstances, they're going through the fire at the moment. You know the difficulties, you know the trials, and then they're there with their eyes closed and their hands raised. I've seen those people worshiping, and then I'm just, I'm so encouraged for myself to, if they are worshiping like that, I must worship. And that's the beauty of, of, of being part of a body is to, to realize that we encourage one another. And, and worship is really, it's a communal activity. It's something that we do together. And it's so important for us not to just judge corporate worship on the physical, you know, what we can kind of see around us, you know, whether there's five people or whether there's 500 people, uh, whether the band is doing a great job or whether they're singing songs that we like. So many, so many times in corporate worship, we're so aware of these physical things. And I don't think we always realize what is happening in the spirit when the people of God come together and they declare the praises of God in a space. We don't know the warfare that we are waging, the, 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 the battle that is on as we declare that this kingdom of God is, is going to come in this space, in this town, in this nation, as we, as we lift God up together. There's so much happening in the spirit. And in fact, I, I truly believe that there's some things that God will only do in corporate worship. There's some things that God will only do when you're on your home, at home, on your, on your own, on the floor, in front of God. There's some things that God will only do there. But I also believe there are some things that God will only do when His people come into unity, when His people lock into agreement and we declare that this is who God is, this is what God says over an area or over a situation. So now I want you to think about two quick questions as I'm speaking. First one is, what does worship look like in your context? And also along with that, what did worship look like when you were growing up, you know, corporate worship specifically now, what did it look like? And along with that, where do you learn what worship is? You know, what, what teaches you about this thing that we call worship? Uh, maybe you listen to sermons, maybe you've read some books, uh, maybe you've, you, you watch a lot of worship that's on, on YouTube. And uh, the reason that I ask these questions is that it's so important for us to realize that our culture that we find ourselves in, it has a massive impact in informing the way that we worship. The culture around us informs our understanding of worship. So culture in itself is, is really neither here nor there, but what we need to do with our culture is to shine the light of scripture on it and to see, okay, where does my culture align with scripture and where does it not? Because the reality is that all cultures have blind spots. And the problem with a blind spot is you don't know you have a blind spot. That's the reason it's called a blind spot. You can't see it. Uh, you know, you need somebody else to come and, and, and tell you about your blind spots. Or like I've experienced so many times in my life, when I go from my culture into another culture, I'm suddenly aware of so many assumptions that I bring with me into worship, where I think this is how worship works. And then suddenly I see other people worshiping in a different way. And I realize, oh, wait, I've actually got a lot of assumptions and I need to go back to scripture to see what does scripture actually say about worship. A simple example of some of these assumptions, maybe your context, your background, you're used to, uh, you know, corporate worship involves somebody playing the organ and a lot of people singing. Uh, and, you know, you, you maybe look down a little bit on these happy clappy churches with their big flashy bands and their nice lights and all of these things that feels a bit emotional, feels a bit over the top. 
uh, and you, you, you think that's, that, that, that can't be worship. Or maybe you're from the happy clappy churches with the flashing lights and the smoke machines and all of that. And you maybe look down a little bit on, on people who worship just with an organ or just with a keyboard or just with voices. And the reality, of course, is that in both contexts, worship can be from the heart or not. You know, um, I think in a, an expressive culture where there's, you know, loud music and, and dancing and, and all of this, it's, it's really, it's, it's beautiful to see us putting many of the commands in the Psalms, for instance, into practice. You know, we're, we're not afraid to, to be undignified like David was. But in the same way, in, in kind of cultures where the, which can seem more reserved, there can really be a sense of, of the fear of God. There can, be an under, there can be a reverence. There can be an understanding of the, the holiness of God. So I think there's redemptive qualities in both. And what is so important for us is for us to remain teachable and for us to remain humble and to say, Holy Spirit, come and teach me from your word. Come and change my understanding to align my culture to be more in line with scripture. And so with, with that in mind, maybe we should start by asking ourselves the question, why do we sing? <laughs> why, when we get together, before we hear the word, I think we can all understand why we hear the word together, but, but why do we sing together? For myself, my first answer would be because God sings. That would be kind of the, the starting point. We, scripture speaks about God singing. And I think that's so amazing that because he sings, we are made in his image and he gives us this capacity, this ability to sing. And I think it says something so beautiful about God's character that he actually gave us the ability to sing. Or just the, the idea of music. I mean, it's not necessary for our survival. It's, it's not like eating or drinking or sleeping that, you know, if we don't do those things, we're not really going to live. Uh, we can, in a sense, live without music, but he gave us this desire to express ourselves creatively through singing and through music as a means of connecting with him, and as a means of, of connecting with one another. And just on a side note, something that I always say that I, I think one of the things I'm most excited about for heaven one day is the day that we are going to hear God sing. That just blows my brain to think of what is his voice going to sound like. Yeah, I think he's going to sound like a multitude of choirs in just one note. Just imagine his voice when he sings. So I believe we sing because God sings. But if you look at scripture, scripture is full of music. It's full of singing. Exodus 15, when Moses and the Israelites come through the Red Sea, what is the first thing that they do to commemorate what has just happened? They sing a song. They, they create a memorial, which thousands of years later, we know the words to that memorial. We can today celebrate what happened thousands of years ago as God rescued his people out of Egypt. They celebrate it through song. Uh, of course, the Psalms, one of the largest collections of books in the Bible, it's just this massive collection of, of poems and of songs. You know, Jesus, he sang. There's a story of Jesus after the Last Supper, he and the disciples come together and they, they sing a hymn together. In the New Testament, the epistles, Colossians 3 is a good example. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It's, it's throughout Scripture. Revelation, of course, 
these, these visions of what heaven is like and what is going on in heaven. And a huge part of the activity in heaven is singing, responding to God with song. And so throughout scripture, we are instructed to sing. We are given permission to sing. We are encouraged to sing. And in fact, if you look at church history, throughout church history, we have a singing faith. It is part of who we are as believers. And of course, the power of singing, if you think about just why God gave us uh, this, this, this gift, is singing, it, it teaches us. Think of kids. How do you teach a, a child the ABCs? A, B, C, D. I've got toddlers, so I, I know that song very well. You know, we teach ourselves. And in fact, we, in, in a kind of our Christian faith, we teach ourselves the basics of our doctrine through the songs that we sing. So much of, of our understanding, our theology of God is based on the songs that we sing. Singing teaches us. Singing reminds us, again, back to Moses and Israelites. It, by, by singing that song that they sang all those years ago, we can be reminded of the faithfulness of God. Singing encourages us. It, it helps us to, to, to see again the faithfulness of God, to see the character of God, to see the works of God. Singing gives us the ability to express our faith in a way that goes beyond uh, the, the, the other amazing gifts God's given us, like, like prayer and so on. We, we can express our faith through singing. And so I hope you're seeing through this that, that singing is so much more than just notes or melodies or lyrics. It's a deeply spiritual uh, gift that God has given us. It's a gift that He's given us to be able to connect firstly with Him, but also with one another. And the other thing about singing in Scripture or just worship in Scripture, true worship in Scripture, there's no doubt as to who is at the center of that worship. There's no doubt as to who is at the center, who it's for, who this, this worship is, is directed towards. If you look at Revelations 5, the, the lamb that was slain and the entire heaven just responding to the lamb. That is what worship is. And uh, we, we need to constantly kind of look at our, our own worship culture and, and see what are the things that we can celebrate what are the things that we can thank God that he's established amongst us? But also, where are the areas that we can grow? Where can our, our worship culture align more with what we see in Scripture and God's uh, design and God's desire for us with worship? And the reality is that the modern worship scene, it can be a confusing place. There's a lot of mixed messages in the modern worship scene. You know, uh, an example is, is that there's, there's really, a, what I often find is, a, is an emphasis on what the band is doing, what the musicians are doing. And then for the rest of the congregation, their participation is almost optional. You know, whether they engage or not, that's, it's almost optional. It's like, uh, you know, th this group of musicians in the middle, they're having the time of their lives and everyone else can kind of choose whether to, to engage or not. And that's a, that's a sad thing when we, when we don't realize that it's, it's not about a core group of people in the middle engaging with God, but it's about all of us engaging with God. It's everybody's voice is important. Everybody should be adding to this thing of, of corporate worship. And um, 
course, don't get me wrong. There's amazing worship teams doing uh, amazing things and uh, really pursuing God and, and establishing true worship throughout the earth. But I think it is important for us to be discerning about the worship that we expose ourselves to, to the worship music that we listen to, uh, because not all of it is helpful in directing us to, again, what, is, what does worship look like in Scripture? There's no doubt as to who's at the center of that worship. In, in, in Scripture, we're not, there's no doubt about are we worshiping the band or in many cases, are we worshiping an experience? We are worshiping God in true worship in Scripture. So we need to be discerning about what we are, we are listening to and not just listen to, to music that's popular or you know, the, the most popular worship band that's out there at the moment. Let's constantly, again, shine that light of Scripture to see to, for God to come and change our understanding of, of what is biblical worship. Okay, so while we're speaking about bands, maybe we should ask the question, then why do we have a band? What is the role of the worship team? What is the role of the band? And I think on the most basic level, if we come back to what I was just saying now about the power of singing, the power of music, how do you get a group of people, no matter how big, it can be five or it can be 500,000, how do you get them to say, to come into complete agreement together? How do you get them to come into unity, no matter how big? You add rhythm and you add a melody. And suddenly everybody is united. That is the power of music. And that for me is the, the, on the most basic level, why we have a band. They're there to provide the rhythm or the beat, and they're there to tell us the key that we're singing in, <laughs> to give us the notes that we're singing, the melody that we're singing, so that we can come into unity. What the band is not there to do, and this might come, uh, might feel a little bit against what you've heard before, what the band is not there to do is to lead us into the presence of God. Why do I say that? Because the band or the worship leader, they're not some mediator between us and God. They're not some some kind of bridge between us and God in that we can only worship uh, if the, the band does their job well or the worship leader does their job well. We can only worship because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who leads us in worship. And we can only, we only have the capacity or the grace extended to us to be able to worship because of the blood of Christ. So if we are standing clothed in the blood of Christ, if we have the Holy Spirit leading us, then we have the capacity to worship. It does not depend on the band. And the amazing thing about this is that it just removes kind of the sense of responsibility that many worship teams feel to, to kind of make something happen because they're not there to make something happen. They are there rather than to lead worship. They're there to facilitate worship. They're there to serve what is happening. If I, can, if I can use an analogy of, of how I see the role of the worship team, think of a time of corporate worship as a, a date night between God and his church. Okay, so the band, they are the waiters in a restaurant at this date night. So now, if you've been to a, a restaurant, you wouldn't be so impressed with the, the waiter if they had to come up to you while you're seated at the table and say, okay, you say this, and now you say this, and now you say this, kind of leading the conversation. That's not the role of the waiters. They're there to dim the lights. They're there to put on the background music. They're there to bring the food at the right time. 
But the, the focus of the conversation is between God and his church. This, they're there to facilitate this conversation that is happening between God and his church, not to, not to lead it. And of course, you know, that does require listening to the Holy Spirit and being sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is doing in the moment because they, they need to bring the right food at the right time. They need to be, they're not sitting there passively. They're actively engaged, but they, the focus is not on them. They're not leading this date night. They are just watching this conversation happening and they, they're serving this conversation. And so for me, the, the best worship themes are actually the ones that you don't notice so much. You know, because if we're leaving church and we're saying, wow, the worship team was on fire today, then, you know, did that worship team actually fulfill their responsibility? Because if worship is all about connecting with Jesus, if the worship team is distracting so much that they become the focus, then we need to ask ourselves some tough questions. But if people are leaving church and they're saying, I really encountered Christ today, you know, they can't even really remember who was on on the worship team. Then I think we're moving in the right direction where the worship team is there to serve what is happening. Allow me to say one more thing about worship teams on behalf of worship teams to, to congregation members. And this is that we tend to compare our local worship team to what we see on YouTube. And let me tell you, what you see on YouTube whenever you're watching kind of worship videos or, or the latest worship album, what you see there is highly professional musicians with the very best equipment, the very best musical instruments, hours and hours of training, a lot of money poured into a lot of resources, uh, auto-tune that makes sure that their voices never sing a false note, and then what happens when we bring those expectations to our Sunday service and we've got a few, maybe a, a very small team or maybe not a very skilled team or maybe some people who, who sing uh, a bit false. What happens when we bring those expectations? And I want to ask you to prayerfully stop comparing your local worship team to what you see on YouTube, or what you've heard about on the church that, are, that is up the road. You know, because we need to start celebrating what is God doing amongst us? What has, in this, in this community that God has placed me in, where God himself has planted me, what is God busy doing? And celebrate that rather than comparing ourselves to, to what we see, for instance, on YouTube. If you want to have a good expectation for corporate worship on a Sunday, let Hebrews 11 guide you. It says that if we come to God, we must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That is a very good expectation to have. To, 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 to not have an expectation on the band, but to know that if God is going to be there, and he will be there, he's going to be there and he will reward us when we seek him. That is a good expectation to have for Sunday services. Because, you know, all these things, you know, the, the beautiful lights and uh, the, the talented musicians, it's great and it's important. The sound system, all of that. And it's something we spend as worship teams, we spend a lot of time on that because we want to minimize distractions. We don't want to distract people. We want to be excellent. We want to bring on an excellent offering. But those things don't or shouldn't determine whether we can worship or not. I feel like I need to say, can I get an amen? Those things don't determine whether we can worship or not. We can worship or not depending on whether Christ is present amongst us. If God is amongst us 
If the Holy Spirit is leading us, if we have the blood of Christ clothing us and washing us clean, then we have the capacity to worship. And I'm fully convinced that God wants to do so much more in our worship than, than what we sometimes uh, expect. You know, it's, it's nice to have the nice music and the nice songs and all of that, but that shouldn't determine what happens in worship. Christ is there. He is present amongst us. He wants to heal people in our times of corporate worship. He wants to set people free in our times of corporate worship. He wants to save people even before the sermon and the altar call. Just as people have a, a revelation of who He is, the magnificence of God and the mystery of the cross, as we sing about it, He wants to save people in those moments before we even have an altar call. Let that be our expectation based on the character of God and the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit. All right, so last thing that I want to speak about is how do we prepare ourselves for corporate worship? When I'm coming to church, to, 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 when we're gathering how should we prepare ourselves? And I think it is so important for us to prepare ourselves because you may have noticed, often we're so distracted when we come together to worship, our minds are on a thousand different things. We, you know, maybe we fought in the car on the way to get to church and, uh, and now we need to worship and it takes a while. By song three or four, we're engaged. And what I'm asking is that we begin to prepare ourselves so that from song one, from the moment we gather, you know, even before you walk in the doors, that we are prepared for this incredible privilege that we have to worship together. And the first one, there's so much that I can share. These are just a few thoughts, okay? First one would be cultivating the discipline of silence in our lives. The reality is that all of us live such busy lives. We are constantly multitasking. We are constantly on social media, constantly in communication with one another. And we don't really anymore know what it means to just sit, to be still, just to be without doing. Or as it says in Psalms, to, to be still and just to know that He is God. We don't really know what that is. And so we, we take these distractions into the presence of God or into our kind of time with God. And we, we, we're so distracted. I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with somebody where uh, they're kind of, they're standing in front of you and they're sort of listening to what you say. But, but as you're speaking, they're kind of, looking over your shoulder the whole time, maybe greeting others or, or kind of checking out the room to see if there's somebody more interesting coming around. And how many times do we do that to God? Where we are present in front of Him, but we're kind of looking over His shoulder. And so in terms of preparation, this is not something that happens on a Sunday when we gather. This is something that happens daily in our lives. Being able to, to be comfortable with silence. To, be, to, to learn to quiet our hearts, to quiet our minds. And kind of flowing out of this as we prepare for worship to, to consecrate ourselves to God, to consecrate that time to God, to, to silence those distractions, everything else, and to say, God, I give you this time. Let's be intentional. You know, it, it's a privilege that we have to spend half an hour or whatever it is in corporate worship. Let's be intentional with that time. Give it to God. Say, God, I give you this time. I consecrate it to you. I don't want to miss what you want to do amongst us in this time. Consecrate that time. Consecrate yourself. Consecrate your thoughts. Be honest with God if you feel distracted. To say, God, my, my mind is in a thousand different places, but right now I pray that you'd give me the grace just to be still and to focus and to be present so that I don't miss what you're doing. 
as we consecrate ourselves, we also honor the Holy Spirit. Again, the Holy Spirit is the worship leader. He's the one who gives us the capacity to worship. So honor him, honor his work. Say, thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that I I can ask you to unveil me, to remove the scales from my eyes. I want to see God. I want the eyes of my understanding to see God, to see the Father, to see Jesus. Honor the Holy Spirit. And acknowledge the blood of Christ. Acknowledge the finished work of Christ. I don't know about you, but so many times for myself, As I'm approaching God in in worship, that's when the devil loves to come with his accusations. That's when he loves to come with his, that sense of unworthiness, which points out all the the areas where you've messed up. And and of course, repentance is, is a huge part of this. Humbling ourselves before God is a huge part of this. But so often we need to actually be aware that those accusations are going to come flying. And how do we respond to them? We respond to them with the promises that we have in God's word. The fact that we can approach the throne of God boldly with confidence, Hebrews 4. You know, or or the promise in James, uh, I think it's James 4, where it says, you know, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. That's a promise from God that we can remind ourselves that I'm not coming to God based on my own goodness. I'm coming only based on the blood of Christ. This is all part of our preparation for corporate worship. And then as we begin to worship, you know, always encourage people, start with praise, start with thanksgiving. We sometimes want to uh, kind of dive into the deep end with worship uh, and kind of go prostrate immediately. But the powerful thing about thanksgiving is it reminds us of what God has done with praise. And praise is expressive. If you look at the Psalms, praise involves our bodies, involves action. And many times that using our bodies reminds our hearts of what we're doing. It helps our hearts. It helps shift our our affection and our attention from everything that's going on around us and to put it solidly on God. So that is the power of praise and of thanksgiving. And then from that, we can flow into worship. And worship is a beautiful space to be honest with God, to be vulnerable with God, to to tell Him our doubts and to tell Him our fears and our concerns. You know, if you look at many of the laments in the Psalms, for instance, it's David or whoever the psalmist was, was, was pouring out his heart to God and saying, I, I feel like this. But also with those, with those same laments, most of them say, but God. And they, again, they shift the attention and the focus to him. And so that's what I want to say is be honest with God, but don't allow your circumstances or your fears or your concerns to derail your worship to the point where it silences our worship and where our thoughts and our minds are consumed with the stuff around us. Let us allow our hearts to be turned, our affection to be turned to the, to the only one who is worthy of worship because that's, it's, it's all for Him. It's all towards Him. He is at the center of our worship. And let's not become distracted by the things around us. And as we're doing this, don't forget about the person next to you don't forget about them because it's not just about me worshiping Jesus, but it's, it's to realize I'm part of a greater body. I'm part of a collective. I'm part of the bride of Christ. And that changes the way that we worship. It changes the way that we live our very lives. When we realize that I'm just not on my own personal mission, but together God wants to come and let his kingdom come through us as a body and as a collective. So don't forget about the person next to you. Bless you.
Thank you for joining the Spirit Truth Podcast. Check out shofaband.com for music and resources. You can also subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Thank you.